Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. I am Andrew Alex from ESPN Blacksburg. I am joined by the usual suspects. First, in the 757, the Honorable Ricky LeBlue. Ricky, what's going on? Tired, man. I was I was telling Mike before we started recording, I just got done with a run. So I'm a little worn out, but I can promise the listeners there will be plenty of energy, enough to do this podcast. I can't guarantee much afterwards, but it, as long as we're recording, I got it. Yeah, I, I feel you, Ricky. You know, I had I was doing a good job, you know, kind of that towards the middle to end of 2020 of getting in a workout groove, doing what I had to do. And then the holidays come along. With the holidays come the food and the drink. That's how it works. But I'm back. I'm, I'm kind of back on the grind. I've lost like five pounds since January 1. Mike McDaniel, you don't have that many pounds to lose, do you? I don't. Only Only gaining from here on out, I think. Mike McDaniel, <laughs> full gains. Mike is in full hashtag gains mode. <laughs> gains mode. That's me. Mike McDaniel <laughs> will be participating in Big Squat Wednesday. That That is the breaking news that we can uh, give you guys today. We got plenty to talk about, folks. We got, uh, you know, coaching switches. We got transfers in. The basketball team apparently pretty good. We will talk about it all. But first, we must let you all know that this podcast is made possible by the good folks over at Main Street Pharmacy. Main Street Pharmacy in downtown Blacksburg is the pharmacy you want to go to if you want a pharmacy, a healthcare provider that truly cares about you. If you want that, if you are interested in someone that is interested in your healthcare outcomes, look no further. The Main Street Pharmacy, Dr. Jeremy Counts and his wonderful staff will take care of everything you need well gentlemen let's get it started here and we're going to talk about the coaches first a big coaching hire that we were probably talking about roughly 365 days ago was the addition of tracy clays to justin fuente's staff clays a former head coach i believe he coached at the university of minnesota came on as the defensive or as the linebacker coach for the Hokies. that will be no more we will talk about his, his successor in just a second, but I want to ask you guys, Ricky, Ricky first here. The linebacking core was not up to the standard that we were expecting. Ashby had a down season. Hollifield was sketchy at times. Tracy Clays was supposed to be this big-time addition, this big-time hire, someone in the mold of kind of a Jerry Kill where you're bringing outside experience, guys that have led a program before into the fold to help Justin Fuente. He quickly became a target of fan base ire, and now he is out the door. What exactly went wrong here? Was it just not a good fit? I mean, 
you hear a lot of stuff on Twitter. You don't, you can't really target any truth towards that. But Ricky, I need your thoughts. I'm really sure what went wrong here. Um, when Tech hired Tracy Clays, I thought it was the perfect hire because they had Justin Hamilton entering his first year as defensive coordinator and his second year as a, a, a high, you know, a high level assistant uh, at, at the collegiate level, at least at FBS. And Tracy Clays is a guy who, though he basically got ran out of Washington State because his defense was horrific, he was a guy who had a wide breadth of coaching experience and was someone that could be kind of that go-to resource, that encyclopedia for uh, Justin Hamilton. And it just didn't work out that way. Um, Tracy Clays' unit stunk for most of the year. Uh, Alan Tisdale was not all that great. Rayshard Ashby had the worst year of his career. And Dax Hollifield was bad for most of the year. So you put all that together and you've got a pretty disappointing unit and a pretty disappointing coaching performance. And it really doesn't shock me that Tech decided to move on from him. I'm certainly glad that they did. Although I will admit there was a period of a couple of weeks where I thought there was a chance they were going to retain him. Uh, but I guess they were just waiting until uh, National Signing Day was over. Mike, you, do you think he was maybe pushed out or, or do you think this was a completely Tracy Clay's decision here? No, I think he was pushed out. And I think that was probably made apparent in his statement, right? I mean, he releases a statement saying that, you know, he's retired for now unless, you know, the right opportunity came about, which to me makes it seem like he's not actually retired. It makes it seem like, you know, he's kind of looking for a better yeah, situation. Take a year right, exactly. So um, both sides, I think, were looking for a better situation here. I, I think it's clear that this wasn't going to work out long term. And I don't know why it didn't work out either. I mean, there's plenty of speculation and rumors on the Internet about why it didn't work out. But, I mean, all we can point to definitively is what happened on the field. And like Ricky mentioned, I mean, the linebacking core was easily the worst unit on the defense this year. And I think going into this season, a lot of us expected the defensive line to actually be the, the group on the defensive side of the ball to struggle the most. And that was even with Caleb Farley opting out, given what Tech had coming back in the secondary. I think a lot of us were expecting the defensive line, you know, given um, the, the attrition at some of the key positions and the fact that, you know, at defensive end especially, you know, there was some work to do. I mean, Taiwan Garbutt opted out and, and wasn't really a part of the roster for a good part of the year. Um, and then he came back and then never really played. So it, it was like, all right, yeah, plug in Justice Reed, you know, does he come in and, and play a big role? And he did, but the, the defensive line, I think, was the biggest question mark. And um, for the most part, the defensive line played okay. It was really the linebacking core that was caught out of position a bunch this year and put the defense in precarious situations. And anytime you have members of your secondary leading the team in tackles, or at least in the top three or four in the team in tackles, that's when you know you have a problem. And, you know, that's what Virginia Tech was up against this year. So, I think it's best for both sides that Tracy Clays moves on. I do really like uh, promoting Jack Tyler. Uh, the, the players love it. The fans love it. Um, past players, I mean, it's not just current players. Past players seem to really like the move. So he's an up-and-coming coach. Virginia Tech now has a really young defensive staff, but a group that I think, uh, especially in the state of Virginia, could hit the recruiting trail pretty hard. It's an area where Virginia Tech needs to improve upon, obviously. And I, I think Justin Fuente is 
kind of banking on these young guys who are able to relate to these guys in state um, to kind of make that push forward if the staff wants to be retained much past next season. But um, I do like the move to promote Jack Tyler. It certainly couldn't get any worse than what we saw last year um, or this past season out of Tech in the linebacking course. So I think promoting Jack Tyler, at least from a staff continuity standpoint, his ability to relate to the players. And then I think it will help from a recruiting standpoint because he is only 30 years old. He'll be able to relate to guys on the trail. Yeah. And you don't want to say like Tracy Clay is a really bad coach or something like that because he's had success in the past. But I think that if we knew the circumstances of what was going to happen in March, last January, when the hire was made, I don't think people would have thought it's as good as a fit old coach, old school, and with the changing defense, it might have been better to have some continuity in that role. As for Jack Tyler and Ricky, I'll touch on this in a second with you, get your thoughts. People were telling me, and this includes players on the active roster, that when they were doing their defensive coordinator search internally, some players wanted Jack Tyler to get that role. But last thing I'll say for Clay's, maybe not a good fit, especially not a good fit given how hot the seat is for Fuente right now. But there was some speculation it's due to health problems. Clays goes out and says it doesn't have anything to do with health problems. Apparently he's lost 125 pounds in 18 months. Good for you, Tracy Clays. Best of luck in retirement and whatever, or, or lack of retirement if you get the job that you want. But good for you, losing 125 pounds. Incredibly hard. But Jack Tyler, Ricky. At the linebacker coach role, two-time former All-ACC Hokie, been on that graduate assistant track to defensive quality control coach, now in the linebacker coach role. I think this is a, a slam dunk, right? A home run? Sports analogy? No. It's a good hire. It's not a great hire. Um, tech, a, a home run hire would have been someone who had a, a long track record of coaching linebackers. Um, obviously that's quite difficult to do in these kind of circumstances. Um, so one of the next best things is to get a guy who's been at the school for a long time. He's been in the program for a few years, um, has experience going back to Bud Foster's days, has experience with most of this roster. So I do think it is a good hire. Uh, he's someone who can help theoretically, at least <clears throat> recruit the state of Virginia, um, he is someone who has coached these guys in the past, or at least helped coach these guys in the past when um, they've had good seasons. Um, you know, talking about Dax Hollyfield, Alan Tisdale um, specifically. So the hire has a chance to be a home run hire. There's potential that this hire really, really works. Um, but obviously, anytime you bring in someone who is extremely green, um, in their first time as a, as a full-time assistant, um, I, I think it's a bit, a bit of an overreaction to call it a home run hire. I want to transition over to what's going on in the transfer portal. Transfer portal news, good news in recent days for Virginia Tech. Let's start with what's going on on the defensive line. Virginia Tech. For all the problems that they've had recruiting in the state of Virginia, well, they get one of their own back. Jordan Williams, a former four-star recruit out of Cox High School in Virginia Beach, played over 600 snaps at Clemson. He is coming 
home to Virginia Tech. You think of this guy as probably a plug-and-play starter on the defensive line. Ricky, is this a, a, a kind of a game-changer here for Virginia Tech on defense? It's a very good addition. Um, I, I wouldn't put Jordan Williams in the category of someone who's going to completely change the narrative defensively. But if you're looking for someone who's who should be able to make an impact right away, I think Jordan Williams is that guy. Um, for Tech fans who follow recruiting heavily, you'll remember this name. Jordan Williams was in the 2017 class. Uh, Tech really, really wanted him. Um, obviously, Jordan Williams ended up going to Clemson. One of the reasons that Jordan Williams did not come to Virginia Tech was because um, they were going to move him to defensive tackle. Um, that was when Tech was known for playing undersized ends. And Jordan Williams, who was about 250 pounds, I believe, already uh, when he was down here at Cox High School, um, he was going to grow, obviously, once he got into a college weight room. And the Tech coaches knew that and they wanted to put him inside. Um, Jordan Williams uh, was, I guess, told that he would have a chance to play end at Clemson. Obviously, that didn't work out because the man's 310 pounds. Um, so he's he's kind of a perfect fit for this defense in the, in the sense that he is kind of a, a bigger defensive tackle. He's no longer that undersized guy, which is what um, kind of the, the shift that Bill Tierlink and Daryl Tapp have been working towards over the last year plus. I think it's a very good uh, addition. Um Again, it's someone who should make an impact right away. And all of a sudden, I think the interior of the line is pretty solid. If you look at Deshaun Crawford, who should be healthy next year, he was not healthy for most of this past season. Uh, Mario Kendricks, Narelle Pollard, Josh Fuga. These are guys that all have chances to be at least rotational players at worst. So for a position that was really a liability for the, the latter part of Frank Frank's tenure and for the early part of Justin Fuente's tenure, all of a sudden there's a bit of a, a bit of depth there. Um, and it's depth that you can, you should be able to build on too, because Kendricks, Pollard, Fuga, those guys are going to be around for a few more seasons. Rick, yeah, I certainly agree with you. And, and we talked about, you know, the size of Gerard Hewitt, and he was certainly recruited to play in Bud Foster's scheme under Charlie Wilde's leadership. And you looked at him playing in Hamilton's defense, and they would never recruit a guy that size today to play that position going forward. Now, how, when you make such a dynamic switch in such a short period of time and you have to rely on the recruiting trail, there is going to be a lag there. So going out and getting a guy like Jordan Williams and being able to insert him next year and make an impact immediately while, you know, whoever the freshmen are that they brought in, get the chance to take a red shirt, build up their bodies as Kendricks and Pollard and Fuga continue to improve. It's a very good stopgap spot for him, regardless of how many years he stays at Tech. On the big picture side, you have in in Williams, a guy who went to Cox High School, big time recruit out of the 757. We talk about all the struggles that this coaching staff, very well documented, have had in the state of Virginia. In Williams, if he comes to Virginia Tech and has a good experience, he still has those connections with the coaching staff back in the 757, with the general football community there that can maybe lay some groundwork to rebuild that pipeline from the 757 back to Blacksburg. M Mike, you seemed pretty excited on the Twitterverse when this transfer came out. Do you remain as ecstatic 
as you were that day. Yeah, I think it's really important because Virginia Tech's in a spot right now under Justin Fuente where I think a lot of people expected a move to be made with, you know, kind of how things bottomed out towards the end of the year. And obviously with the victory over UVA uh, at the end of the season, you know, that even despite that, a lot of people were expecting Virginia, at least fans and, and message boards, what have you, you know, people were expecting Virginia Tech to make a move. And when they ultimately didn't pull the trigger and elected to retain Justin Fuente, as we talked about um, in past podcasts, it, it was kind of a surprise, but when you kind of take a step back and look at it, I mean, I think Virginia Tech would obviously have much rather, you know, taken that money that they would have had, had to pay for a Justin Fuente buyout and rather just reinvested in, in the program, right? And, and tried to, you know, enhance what, you know, what resources the university already has from a football standpoint. So from a recruiting side, you know, a lot of recruits, I think, look at this and say, well, Justin Fuente sticking around, but how long is he actually going to be here, right? I mean, he's here for another year at least, but, you know, what's the level of dependence that I can put on this coaching staff recruiting me to be here past my freshman season or even into my freshman season for a lot of these 2022 kids? Uh, and I think this move is important because if Jordan Williams comes to Virginia Tech and has a good experience, he was one of the better recruits in the 757 uh, for the class of 2017. He went to Clemson. He got buried on the depth chart because Clemson recruits basically every defensive tackle under the sun, who's a four or five star, comes onto the roster. That doesn't mean Jordan Williams isn't a good player. Um, he, he played a bit and was a rotational guy at defensive tackle for Clemson, but you know, he wanted a bit more playing time. So now he comes to Virginia Tech. And I think if he has a positive experience and he's able to go back to Cox High School or even to some rival high schools that he's played against, against, you know, with players that he's got connections with, you know, younger siblings of guys that he's played with in the past or, you know, people that he just knows from being in the area, you know, I, I think that those types of connections are kind of what you need to reestablish some sort of pipeline in the 757. I don't want to speak to that area specifically because I think Ricky is more of an expert on that on that area of the state than I am. But I do think just kind of on the surface, it's really important for Jordan Williams to not only come to Virginia Tech, but to play well, have a good experience and be able to speak highly of the school um, and, and of Justin Fuente and his staff in order to kind of reestablish those relationships in that part of the state. But at the end of the day, it's up to the staff to kind of make the most of this experience too, not just Jordan Williams, but I think it is a good stepping stone. You know, as we look forward to 2021 and as these moves are being made where the transfer portal is going to be so important for Virginia Tech. I like to kind of pose the question position group by position group. Will the 2021 group be an upgrade or a downgrade from the 2020 group? Now, for some like running back, losing Khalil Herbert is going to be pretty obvious. It's probably going to be a downgrade. The defensive line is where it gets a little dicier. I personally think that with Williams and a healthy Deshaun Crawford, this could be a big upgrade despite losing Gerard Hewitt. Do you guys agree with that sentiment? Yeah. Um, mostly just because I think Jordan Williams is better than Gerard Hewitt. Um, obviously getting Crawford healthy makes a big difference. Narelle Pollard, Mario Kendrick should be better. There's no reason to think that this unit can't, or this, at least the interior of the defensive line can't be better. We'll see what the perimeter looks like, but I do think that the interior of the line will be better next year. Um, and if, if for some reason Jordan Williams is really able to break out and 
have himself a really productive season. It, it could, in, in theory, try or at least help Virginia Tech move from the really bad category on defense to the average category on defense. And if that's the case, it obviously boosts Tech's chances of winning. Mike, what do you think? Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I I think the defensive line in general, just adding Jordan Williams into the fold, the type of prospect that he was coming out of high school, the type of player that he was. I mean, he was productive at Clemson when he got snaps. The problem was that, you know, he was buried on the depth chart, like I mentioned. So I think adding him can only help. Um, I think if Virginia Tech can obviously take a step forward defensively next year, um, Jordan Williams will be at least a part of that puzzle and a reason why. Um, and I think the defensive tackle position is probably deeper than it's been now in a few years as Virginia Tech starts to evolve a bit from, you know, the defensive line prospects that we saw under Bud Foster to what the defensive line now is going to look like in a new scheme under Justin Hamilton. So as that evolution process begins, I think bringing in a transfer who's got experience and, you know, a guy who can be a big body in the middle of the defense that you don't really have a lot of those types of guys on the roster can really only help you. Now, on the other side of the coin, when we talk about upgrades and downgrades at a position group, it's almost certain at this point that we're going to see a downgrade in that quarterback room. It's just basically in 2020, we kind of thought we had the spoils of the riches with Hendon Hooker, Quincy Patterson, and Braxton Burmeister. Up until last week, it was Braxton Burmeister, Knox Kadum, and incoming freshman Taj Bullock. Virginia Tech goes ahead and makes an addition to that room. They do so by adding Connor Blumrick. Blumrick, a former Elite 11 quarterback. He never really caught on as a quarterback at Texas Tech. One career pass, he actually switched around positions, had some time at tight end, had some time at running back. But right now, it seems as if he is slated to be QB2 in the Hokies quarterback room. Unlike the Williams transfer, this one being greeted by the fan base and the media with much more skepticism. I think that skepticism extends to Ricky LeBlue. Ricky, tell us why. <laughs> um, well, it's quite simple. Um, Virginia Tech lost 3,200 passing yards and 26 passing touchdowns in the portal. Um, at quarterback and in order to compensate for that they added eight career passing yards I mean um, he's one for one that's Chase Muma type numbers right there come on <laughs> I think Chase was more productive than that I think he's more productive you give him credit for um, look I mean Blumrick was a a decent recruit um, obviously an elite 11 guy went to Texas A&M. You don't go to Texas A&M if you're not a good, at least a good prospect. Um, but it just didn't work. The guy, the guy was playing special teams this year. Like what the hell are we doing? How, how is this the plan? How is this the plan that you're going to back up Braxton Burmeister, who, as I've said before, and I'll say it again, has not earned the starting job by any stretch of the imagination. How are you going to bring in a guy who was playing special teams, tight end, and running back the last two years as your quarterback, too. I don't get it. Knox Kadem looks like a more attractive option than this. And help, to be quite honest, so does Tosh Bullock. 
Um, to me, this makes no sense unless you're actually going to try him out at tight end or running back. Because if, if, if Jimbo Fisher doesn't think you can play quarterback, I don't think you can play quarterback. I don't know what Justin Fuente and Brad Cornelson think that they're seeing here. The guy should not be playing quarterback at the Power 5 level. Maybe not even at the FBS level, but here we are. So I don't know. It, it, it's, it, I think it's a, it's a um, head-scratching addition, to put it mildly. I think it's absolutely asinine to think that uh, Connor Blumbrick is a sufficient option to be quarterback to, especially when we consider, A, again, Braxton Burmeister wasn't all that good this year, and two, Braxton Burmeister was hurt for a good part of the season. So you have to go into next year basically assuming that you're going to play two quarterbacks for a significant chunk of time. And if Connor Blumrick is your second option, then this offense is screwed. They're they're just screwed. Yeah, Ricky, I I definitely am in the same boat as you. Look, I kind of compare this to something that we saw in Charlottesville about a year ago. Now, granted, their fans were a lot more excited when they brought in a transfer quarterback, Keontae Thompson. Thompson had a better track record playing at Mississippi State. And at least the guy played quarterback. Yeah, he had he had a track record at all, is what I mean. Now, given Blumrick's, I guess, diverse set of skills, I could see him being used as Thompson was in reality when the season played out for UVA, and that was primarily as a running back wide receiver. I mean... Thompson only completed one pass for UVA. It was for negative three yards. I'm not against having a good athlete in the room. And I know that Fuente's former offensive coordinator at Memphis, who's now the offensive coordinator at Texas A&M, gave a big-time endorsement for the kid. But this kid clearly is coming here for a shot to play quarterback. And if that is option number two, it's just it's not sufficient. It's, it's not a sufficient backup. I think that they keep attacking the transfer portal come the summer when, when things play out after spring practice for right now, Blumrick is number two. Mike, do you agree that the, uh, the search for a backup quarterback might just not be over yet? Yeah, I don't, I don't think the search is over yet. I also don't think we've seen enough of Blumrick playing quarterback to really make a determination if he's good enough to be a backup. Jimbo Fisher did. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> his starter was Kellen Mond though. I mean, I, I don't I know, know, but you would at least keep the guy a quarterback if you felt like he had a future there, right? You right. Would, I would, I would think so. Special teams. I would think, well, I mean, he was a running, he played running back tight end and special teams. So he was kind of moving all around. I, I think he's more of a key Tom Thompson addition. I'm with you, Andrew. I don't know really what his future holds in this offense. I, I don't know if he's a quarterback. I don't know if Fuente and his staff see him at another position. Um, I, I really just don't know. The jury is totally out on this one. I mean, I don't, I have no idea how he really fits here. And I'm kind of with you guys. I don't really, I, I don't think you can go, certainly go into the year with any sort of confidence that he's good enough to be the backup quarterback. But I also don't know that yet. And I, we'll just have to see. I mean, I'm, I'm with you guys. I mean, I, I think it's fair to question it, obviously. I just, I don't know enough about this kid. Um, and I don't think he's put up any sort of statistics, obviously, to prove that he's capable of being a quarterback at this level, but we'll just have to kind of see how it plays out. And a- another point, fellas, let's say the guy does have some tools 
what what gives y'all any confidence that Justin Fuente and Brad Cornelson, who failed utterly failed to develop Quincy Patterson and and in a lot of ways failed to develop Hendon Hooker, what gives you any confidence that they're going to be able to develop this kid? Because I have no confidence in their ability to develop quarterbacks at this point. Yeah, I mean, I I can't disagree with you on that one. I think that. I'm not in the, this is a waste of a scholarship vote. If he's an athlete and he got the endorsement from the Texas A&M offensive coordinator and he can do a bunch of different things. On Former elite team. 11 guy. I mean, decent prospect. I mean, definitely not a waste of a scholarship. Yeah. I just don't really know how he fits. Yeah. I mean, some people are saying waste of a scholarship. I don't know how he fits. And, and that's exactly right, Mike. But as a standalone, this is our solution to upgrade the quarterback room. We haven't seen any of him, but I mean, what has Brad Cornelson and Justin Fuente seen? It's, I mean, they've probably seen him throw a couple of times. There's no in-game action. So it's a, just a giant question mark, but you have to strive for more because as Ricky said, Braxton Burmeister has shown himself to be injury prone. And just wildly inconsistent as a player. Like even if he's healthy, there's no guarantee that he's going to give you QB one level performance. So you need to have a reliable option behind him. Who's that option right now? There isn't one. And, and, and also, boys, I mean, unless there are some big additions to the transfer portal after spring practice, which, let's be honest, there probably will be one or two at least. Um, I don't know if you guys have looked at the remaining kids in the portal, but there is not that big of a, a crop remaining in terms of guys that haven't found homes yet especially not at the quarterback position. Yeah. So it, 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 it's not like there are a ton of options that they can pick from if this doesn't work over, over winter break when they're having Colorado's and, and conditioning and they're throwing on the side or whatever. So I don't know, man. I, I, I think this is just a, a really head-scratching decision. I'm not a football coach. So Justin Fuente and Brad Cornelson know more than I'll, I'd ever forget when it comes to football, but Jimbo Fisher looked at this kid and, and didn't think he could play quarterback on his roster. I mean, it, it just screams to me. Desperate, like, desperate is it a, better is it a Taysom Hill type deal? We're like Look, I, planning on using him like a, like a, I will say, I, I will say, you know, Lumrick, it didn't work out A&M because the starting quarterback was Kellen Mond, but I think that there's a better chance that he could, if he, if he ends up panning out in spring practice and then looks good over the summer, um, he could be a viable option to a guy like Braxton Burmeister, right? Like Burmeister is not Kellen Mond by any stretch. I mean, I don't want to water this down guys, but like the quarterback room at Virginia Tech is not the same as the quarterback room at Texas A&M. So I think that's something to take into consideration here as well. I, again, I don't know how this works out. I don't know what Lumrick is as a quarterback, but I think just kind of taking an overall talent standpoint from like what we've seen on the field, this is not Texas A&M's quarterback. It's not. Right? You know what I mean? It's not. But if, if a guy has a chance to turn into a respectable power five quarterback, I'm very confident that Jimbo would not then turn him into a running back slash tight end and then have him out there on specials. Well, I would have appreciated if, Justin Fuente put Quincy Patterson as a tight end for half the season. <laughs> and he, I guess, had the chance to be a viable uh, quarterback. I, I mean, wouldn't just because Quincy, I mean, in my opinion, Quincy should have been out there before Burmeister. But that's just my opinion. 
That is your opinion. <laughs> you have made it clear yes. over the course of the past few months. I mean, the other thing, though, is you have to look at the transfer portal from the beginning. There aren't going to be that many proven guys in the transfer portal to begin with. Ariel Mack went to Old Dominion. I mean, like, what? Well, you, 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 know, you do have to convince said player to come in and compete with Braxton Burmeister. Yes, but you, you, you're convincing them to transfer but, with a. You think Mac's not going to start at Old Dominion? He will. He chose starting. He can probably. He might be able to start over Burmeister. That's he, my point. It's not he, like Burmeister has this long track record that's going to scare off guys. But he has extra time in the system, and people are going to, you know, these quarterbacks who are transferring because they want more playing time or they want a different situation are more likely to go somewhere. That's a sure thing. Braxton Burmeister, at this time, is the odds-on favorite to be the Virginia Tech starting quarterback. And even if you brought someone in, they would have to have a real track record to become that favorite. And I, I don't know who, I mean, I'm sure there are a couple of guys in the portal that might have held that stature, but, but not that many that would want to come and compete. Most of these guys are in the portal because they lost their competition already. I'm, well, I, I, thought. I'm not really sure not really sure what the point is, but I'm just saying that the situation that Virginia tech is in is hard to get out of. You have to convince someone to come in, compete with the potential of losing. Well, and not that many people that are really good are going to want to do that. If, if Fuente and Cornelson can't convince guys to come compete for the starting job, then what are we talking about here? Like, I, I, I don't know. Like, I get what you're saying, but at a certain point, if you're Fuente and Cornelson, you have to be able to sell uh, a a chance to start at the ACC Power Five level and a chance to play with guys like James Mitchell, who is probably going to be an NFL draft pick, play behind guys like Lasita Smith, who will probably end up being a, an NFL draft pick, Trey Turner, who could be an NFL draft pick. Like, I don't know. I, I just, to me – like you said, Andrew, this kind of reeks of desperation that they had to bring a body in and that Connor Blumrick ends up being the body. Well, the problem is, is a body doesn't make you a good football team. And obviously Braxton Burmeister is the leader in the clubhouse to start. Even someone who doesn't appreciate his, his abilities as much as I do would under, would, would admit that. But if, for some reason, this is the roster going into 2021 and Burmeister goes down. I don't know what the hell the answer is at, at quarterback. I do have a thought too, right? Like this coaching staff, even with some of the hires that have been made just to the staff, it's always been kind of potential over production more recently. And this move almost feels like Another move where it's like from a player standpoint, a roster development standpoint, potential over production again at a quarterback position. And I, again, have no idea what Blumrick is going to be, but he doesn't have the track record at quarterback to really go into the air with any sort of confidence that he is going to be a guy who's extremely productive if Burmeister gets hurt. I also wonder if Justin Fuente and this coaching staff once again are kind of overselling themselves on the potential of some of these guys over the production of some of these guys, whether it be from a staff standpoint or a player standpoint. So that's just kind of a general Bingo. theme I've noticed with this program over the next, over the last like year or two, it's just been kind of a theme with some of the hires they've made, some of the players they've brought in. 
and more importantly, like some of the guys who have left the program have been productive players. So it's just something to kind of keep in mind um, as we move forward here and kind of see how the rest of the offseason looks. And again, I, I don't think they're done adding a quarterback. I do think they'll try to make another move at least after the spring. They're, they're, it's, I think they're probably done until the spring, but I think after the spring, we yeah. might have a better idea because I think guys will have better clarity across the country of kind of where they stand in respective quarterback battles and position battles across their respective rosters. And I think the portal will heat up once again um, across the country. And I think for Virginia Tech as well, I think we'll see some more guys leave. I'm just saying this wouldn't have been a bad situation for Demetrius Davis to walk into. <laughs> Rather you than are, you are not wrong, sir. Yeah, I'm just stirring the pot, but it seems a little bit pref- more. It seems a little more preferable than going to Auburn to play for the coaching staff that didn't recruit you, and you're still sitting behind Bo Nix. So I don't know. It's neither here nor there. Even and another five star who just decommitted from South Carolina that may be going to Auburn as well. So just something to monitor. Just a lot of fun there. Hey, it's okay. Auburn's got really good academics. <laughs> the best. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right, gentlemen, on that note, let's transfer over to the basketball side, Virginia tech coming off of a pair of W's. They beat Notre Dame and then they beat Duke. A reoccurring theme over the past few years. I think they've won four of the last 10 against the powerhouse. They never trail in that game. Mike Young squad, 10 and two on the year, four and one in the ACC. The night of the Duke game, I received a text message in the Hokie Hangover group chat. Mike McDaniel saying, this team could very well win the ACC. Mike, are you drinking Kool-Aid? Tell me why. Oh, yeah, I'm drinking Kool-Aid. It's hard not to drink Kool-Aid. This team just beat Notre Dame. They beat Duke. They lost by two to Louisville on a game where they didn't really have their best stuff, and they're right in that game at the end. Um, They they absolutely could win this conference, and it's as much of the ACC being kind of down this year from an elite talent standpoint at the top um, than anything else. I think there are a bunch of good teams in the ACC this year, no real great teams. Um, UVA right now is a top of the conference. And I think when you watch, sit down and watch UVA play, it's pretty apparent that they're good. I mean, they're always good under Tony Bennett, but they play a lot through Sam Hauser. And when he's on the bench, this team drastically kind of drops off. And Virginia Tech's not without their flaws, certainly. But, um, you know, you look at UVA, you look at Louisville, and, you know, we've already seen Virginia Tech play against the Cardinals, not have their best stuff, and lose the game by two on the road. And then you look at this UVA team that Virginia Tech's going to play here at the end of the month, and we'll get a better gauge as to where the Hokies are at. But I think they're much closer to the top teams in the ACC this year than maybe they would be most years. And this is a team that's got good depth. I think the bench is certainly playing well. Hunter Couture's come on. He's playing really good defense. He's shooting the ball well. Jalen Cohn is outstanding. I mean, he's just, he lights it up and he's really difficult to guard. Uh, this is a this is a good basketball team right now. Um, they're getting better production out of Justin Mutz, both offensively and defensively. Keve Aluma has been pretty good all year long, um, and, and the front court is obviously a strength right now rather than a weakness for Virginia Tech, um, and that hasn't always been the case. So I, I really like the way this team's playing right now. They're it's selfless basketball. Radford's been really good. I just I really like this team and just kind of the way they're trending um, and, and defensively, I think most importantly, it continues to get better. And that's the, the part of 
things that have stood out to me. They, they've started to cut down on the turnovers. They've won the turnover battle in each of the last five games, which is something that wasn't the case early in the year. But that's much more reminiscent of Mike Young coach teams rather than what we were seeing at the beginning of the year when Tech was turning the ball over a bunch. So cutting down on the turnovers and playing better defense is a good recipe, and this team continues to shoot the basketball well. So I think they certainly have a chance to win the ACC, but um, it's kind of a weird year in conference play. I think this team at this point is probably a lock to make the tournament as we sit here in mid-January. Um, but but they're just really, really consistent right now. Mike Young hasn't coached well, and it's it's been a big-time player development effort when you consider Hunter Couture and Kebe Aluma and Justin Mutz and – you know, Couture was being recruited at Wofford by Mike Young. Kevin Aluma played at Wofford under Mike Young. Justin Mutz coming from Delaware. And these are all pertinent guys to your roster in ACC play for a top-level ACC team right now. So it's much much of a testament to the guys and, and the staff, too. Um, they're, they're just playing good basketball. They're fun to watch. Yeah, they're certainly not the one-trick pony that they were last year. And that was kind of their demise. It was the lack of defense and the complete reliance on Landers, Nolly, and the three ball. But with these guys getting more consistent on the outside, got to love Jalen Cohn. Who would have thought Virginia Tech might have the most fun player to watch in the ACC? He is a Pete Morris 5'10", and should really be a freshman this year. And coming off the screen, it seems like it's just automatic. Keve Aluma, I saw him in Hello Bagel the other day, can confirm he is tall. And he he brings that, I mean, the Kerry Blackshear comparisons are going to go on forever, but that stretch five role for Virginia Tech. David and Gesson, he plays a lot. That's kind of weird. That's one of the bigger surprises of the year. But the overall consistency and the fact that they can score in a variety of ways with Mutz and Radford on the drive, with Couture, with Jalen Coe on the outside, and then Kevin Aluma can kind of do it, do it all. He's the glue that brings it all together. Ricky, do you have some water to uh, pour on Mike McDaniel's optimism, given what happened last year when they kind of fell from grace in January? Or, or are you right with us? I'm I'm just about there. Um, this team's pretty good. Mike Young said it pretty clearly. Um, he's got a good team. There's no need to beat around the bush about it. And he also said they have a chance to be really good. They're not really good right now, and that's okay. Um, this team is not even supposed to be pretty good right now. So let's it, it, we can all you know two things can be true at once, right? We can take a step back and appreciate what they've done. Uh, appreciate the fact that they are overachieving relative to what we thought they would do before the season started. Um, and then we can also, you know, kind of be a bit of a realist and say, look, this team's still young. There's still a big chunk of the ACC schedule left to go. Um, a lot of things can happen, but it's hard not to like what you've seen thus far. The The depth and the balance on offense, I think, is is just huge. Tech does not have to have one or two guys go off for 20-plus in order to win basketball games. Um, they've got four guys in double figures on the season, um, and they had three guys in double figures against Duke. Now, I do want to you know, be, be fair to Duke that even though I, I think what Coach K has done this year in terms of whining about playing basketball is absolutely ridiculous um, – Duke has not been able to have that extra time for those freshmen to mesh. That's kind of been how Duke rolls. Um, most of their roster are freshmen and sophomores. I think they have one junior on the roster, no seniors. 
if I'm if I'm correct. Um, so Duke is an extremely young basketball team. They're still finding their way. I would be shocked if Duke is not playing at a much higher level once the season ends, as long as they continue to actually play basketball games. Um, but Tech is in a really good spot right now. Their depth kind of insulates them from some freak injury that happens at, at any point for the rest of the season. Um, they're, they're learning how to win when their shooting is still a bit off. I mentioned that when they lost to Louisville by two, they shot the ball absolutely horrifically that game. And they were still right there uh, at the end. And that's an extremely encouraging sign. The front court depth is massive. They're not getting blasted on the boards like Tech fans are used to seeing over the last five seasons. They've got legitimate scoring threats at several different positions. Tyrese Radford is really getting hot. Naheem Aline is an, an extremely reliable scorer. Jalen Cohn has turned into a sharpshooter, which I did not have on my 2020 slash 2021 bingo card. And KV Aluma has been a very reliable at the five. So you put all that together and you've got a really good basketball team or a pretty good basketball team. Uh, and it helps that the ACC is down this year. Um, Carolina is not very good. Duke still trying to figure things out. Notre Dame has been down now for a couple seasons. Um, Virginia down Louisville. They're still really good, but they're, they're not quite what we're used to seeing in terms of Louisville being a top 10 team. And then if you look at kind of the middle of the conference, like Florida state, they're not all that great this year. Miami's really struggling. NC state's not doing all that well. I just realized Notre Dame was 0-5 in the ACC, which is just absolutely bonkers. But um, you put all that together, and Tech does have a chance to win this conference for sure. Now, like, like I said, when I preface this, there's a lot of the ACC schedule left to go. We have to figure out what's going to happen with that, and we have to be patient. But if you take everything into account that we've seen thus far, it's really hard not to, not to be optimistic about what we've seen. Yeah, and I think – to the point of how turbulent this season has been and how teams like Duke, a bunch of freshmen just coming out of high school, they're thrown into this, you know, bizarre situation with COVID where you don't really have a traditional way of getting to mesh as a team and work with Coach K. The advantage that Virginia Tech has is the team basically comprises of sophomores who got significant playing time and were able to mesh last season for better or worse on a team that was very, very young with the gaps filled in by guys like Keve Aluma, Justin Mutz, who have played years of college basketball in other programs and the ability to be able to synchronize as a unit and basically overcome the hurdles in this season. I think Mike Young's team, and maybe it's Mike Young's coaching style as well, the combination of depth and experience is definitely playing into the Hokies favor in a way that it's definitely kind of screwing Duke and other teams. Because like you said, Ricky, I think that come March, Duke will probably make the tournament and they might do so as an eight seed, but give them two more months of experience playing together. And, and these top end freshmen and sophomores are going to be very dangerous, more dangerous than they showed against the Hokies. And Andrew, you mentioned too, David and Gesson. I would not have predicted that he would have been averaging the most minutes played out of the, out of the, the three freshmen. So that's another sign um, that tech is just deeper this year than we've seen. God, and really the last decade, it feels like. Yeah. And tech's got an opportunity to be 14 and two going into that UVA game on the 30th. Um, you know, tech's got wake forest this weekend. 
Boston College, Syracuse, and Notre Dame. Now the Syracuse game's on the road. That could be tough. Um, but, you know, Tech at the very least is going to be favored in the, in the next four games going into UVA. So the Hokies do have an opportunity to be, you know, at, at worst, like 13 and three. But really, they, they're going to be looking at 14 and two if they win the games like they're supposed to as a favorite. So uh, that, that game at the end of the month against UVA can end up being pretty big. And it'll be a big game regardless. It always is for Tech. But that could be like a national TV top 15 ranked matchup game. And guys, the like Tech is going to have a clunker. Like it, it's going to happen. Um, basketball, that this happens with every single basketball team in the country. They have games where they're just off. So don't don't just completely give up on the team if they go out and lose to Boston College or if they lose at Wake Forest or if they lose at Syracuse. Like if it's if they have a bad game and they rebound, that's perfectly normal for a good basketball team. Now if we start to see a discouraging trend, then we can then we can talk about that. But like last year. Yeah. Like don't 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 give up on the team. Um, if all of a sudden they have a really bad game and they lose by 13 to 15 points against the team they should beat because it's going to happen. It's still a young team. They're still meshing. They're going to have an off night ahead. So just be on the lookout for it. And by the way, we've seen telltale signs of this. Of course, they've already had a clunker. They lost to Penn State in embarrassing fashion earlier in the season. Against Miami, they blew a huge lead and only won by two points. And against Louisville, you saw them go up 11-0, go ice cold for the vast majority of the game from the floor, and the defense left a lot to be desired before they made a little bit of a push at the end. This team has shown weakness. They're not going to run the table. The good news for Virginia Tech is that there isn't a team in the ACC with a really well-rounded resume that's shown that, yeah, we're invincible. The only team, I mean, the team that's, kind of viewed more favorably by the national media compared to Virginia tech is Clemson who Virginia tech beat, but Clemson probably has a little bit of a better overall resume, but these next few games, I think beating Duke was big just from a morale perspective for the fan base. But for me, from a morale perspective is these next four games, like Mike talked about going into UVA, you go three and one there. Then I really start to believe because Virginia Tech around this time last year was four and two in the ACC before the bottom fell out and the bottom fell out quickly. So you get a couple more wins there. You get to that. What would that be, Mike? A seven or eight win ACC mark going into UVA if they went four and oh, three and one. Yeah, I believe that's off the top of my head. I believe that would be eight wins in conference. Yeah, four and oh, eight, uh, three and one, seven. Once you're at eight wins in the ACC at that point, I mean, that's a tournament lock, presumably. So these next four games are, are going to be huge. You guys got any final thoughts uh, before we wrap this thing up? No. Um, rate, review, subscribe. Mike, come up with something else. Um, like I said, though, just be, be patient with the basketball team. Um, I, I, like, I, I know it's coming. It's, there's going to be a game where they're off. Just be patient and wait to see what happens. But certainly enjoy it. Uh, Tech fans have not had a lot to root about over the last two seasons. Basketball has been really one of the the only bright spots in terms of the national conversation. So enjoy it, cherish it, and um, we'll see how the rest of the season goes. It sure is nice to be talking about 
a Virginia Tech athletic team that has a chance to win their win their respective conference. Yeah, and real quick, shout out to Jersey Hokey. I think we should talk about wrestling next week. So we got a top five wrestling program. So I, I, start I, talking about that. I was just about to say that after Ricky said talking about a, a Virginia Tech athletic program with a chance to win their conference. Jersey Hokey's going to be pissed if we act like basketball is the only one with they. Well, uh, of course, yes, but Jersey, I love you, man. But in terms of the national conversation, people are dogging Virginia Tech about how bad their football program is. And we all know the football program is a long way away from winning an ACC title. So I think Tech fans can enjoy some national love from all of the national pundits, uh, given how good Mike Young has got this team running right now. But yes, Virginia Tech Wrestling is an elite program, has been for quite some time. And Tony Roby has really improved on a lot of the stuff that Kevin Dresser did in his seasons at Tech. Indeed. In Indeed. All right, that's going to wrap it up for us, folks. Thanks for listening to the Hokie Hangover podcast. As was previously mentioned, rate, review, subscribe really helps. Today was more of a kind of a news and notes, like a bulletin board podcast, because a lot of minor stories have happened, and we're glad to have addressed them as we push forward through this football offseason, as basketball season continues. Obviously, we'll give you the basketball coverage. We'll do some fun things looking forward to 2021. We'll get some interviews. A lot of great stuff happening here at the Hokie Hangover Podcast. If you are listening and you enjoy, please subscribe. Come along for the ride. We really enjoy doing this. We hope you enjoy listening as well. We will be back hopefully with some more basketball wins to talk about. We don't see that fallout that we saw in 2020. Until then, enjoy. Go.